I am relatively new to the um, real estate owners market, so there's there's a story of you know um, a lot of debt growing up and and coming from uh, a family of divorced parents where I lived with uh, an incredible mother who had a penchant for spending, um, but my dad um, you know had uh, is a great saver, but when my parents split up at the age of ten, uh, obviously I was more exposed to the example of spending rather than saving. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright. Hello and welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard, where I get to speak to property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. My name's Tabitha Bright and I'm the head of coaching here at Positive Real Estate, where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell, which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. So my guest today is Marcus Pierce, and we discuss living two doors down from your in-laws, changing our money habits from spender to saver, and Marcus's fascinating research as a, um, I can say, ex-journalist into longevity and why this is so important to us as investors. Enjoy this conversation with Marcus. Hey, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. Um, we're super, super lucky today to have the fabulous Marcus Pierce with us. So, Marcus, I think you're probably going to be better at doing your own intro. So I'm going to be a lazy podcaster <laughs> and hand over um, to you with your wealth of experience. Tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about, about your background. Oh, thanks for having me, Tab. Um, there's a few different ways we can go about this because I am relatively new to the um, real estate owners market. So there's there's a story of you know, um, a lot of debt growing up and, and coming from uh, a family of divorced parents where I lived with uh, an incredible mother who had a penchant for spending. Um, but my dad, um, you know, had uh, is a great saver. But when my parents split up at the age of 10, uh, obviously, I was more exposed to the example of spending rather than saving. So um, there's that part of history. Um, as we were just saying earlier, I'm a sports journalist in the old days from, you know, uh, I finished school in 99, so up until 2006, the, the Melbourne Commonwealth Games was probably my last big event in the mainstream media. Um, and then uh, married my beautiful wife, who's a chiropractor by profession, but she's now retired. We've got 400 kids, four kids in reality, but sometimes feels like 400. Um <laughs> And um, and then so that was a transition from what I call, you know, sports media to personal growth, health and wellness media. Um, and ever since about 2012, 13, I've been somewhat obsessed with longevity and quality of life and what does it take to live a great long life and um, host a podcast, 100 Not Out, and wrote a book on a lot of my findings called Your Exceptional Life. And, um, you know, like to travel the world when we're allowed to, to investigate some of the more long-lived cultures and how can we translate their lessons to um, us here in Australia? Because uh, yeah. as I tell people, you don't have to live in Sardinia or in Ikaria or Okinawa to live a great long life. We already have longevity here in Australia. Um, 
Yeah, so plenty to talk about, but happy to go in any direction you like. Oh, well, no, it was just good to have that summary um, because I know you've studied, what are they called, blue zones? Um, where yes. you have groups of people or cultures that um, have extraordinarily long life and extraordinary quality of life. Um, and that that's been a big passion of yours. And you've written your book, um, Your Exceptional Life, like you were just saying before you've authored that. Um, and I just wanted to make sure people understood that that has been your passion and that you often support a lot of mentoring clients and positive real estate clients. I'm bringing some of that to the table because it's something that we have to think about um, if we're going to, like we were talking about at mentoring last night, if we're going to put all this energy and time and effort and, and resources into having the financial ability to have quality of life, we've got to make sure we're healthy, we've got good support networks, family, um, friends, passions, um, to then also ensure that we're able to enjoy the quality of life at, at um, the time that financially we can. And that's been a big Thing that we've tapped into for you. So um, I wanted to make sure we did cover that off today. Um, but take me back to the beginning, first and foremost, tell me, tell me a little bit about your background, because often um, we obviously start life with whatever skills and tools our parents can give us. And then it's up to us to take those and turn them into whatever else um, you know, we're able to and, and to research and improve whatever we can. So tell me about where you started, what it taught you and where you ended up. Well, I think what I think about you know, more and more these days, particularly having only entered the market, uh, real estate market in 2020, is just how much of an imprint um, our childhood has on our um, financial future. And I don't say this from a perspective of excuses. I actually say it from a perspective of um, a lot of hard work done over the course of I'm 40 years of age. And I think, you know, from the age of 20, I think I read Think and Grow Rich or, or Rich, I think I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 19 or 20. And at the very end of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, Kiyosaki thanks Napoleon Hill and his book, Think and Grow Rich. And I'm one of those people that if, you know, a book recommends a book. It takes you on this beautiful, like a bibliography is a cracking way to learn about new books. So when I, when Kiyosaki, you know, thanked Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, I attempted to read Think and Grow Rich. And like many people that have probably read Think and Grow Rich, it does take three or four or five goes to actually finish that book. Um, but I say that because I've always been determined to be, um, financially healthy from a very young age, but I have found it incredibly difficult over those two decades mm. to do it well. Um, you know, I was telling you off air earlier, you know, just certain, I can remember, I can remember my first credit card and my first purchase. I remember I bought a pair of Nike runners at Doncaster Shopping Town. I think they were $199. I still remember it was like Thursday night shopping. Um, and I, I was a mixture of proud and felt like I'd got away with something, you know, that whole thing of like, I, and, and this is the thing of like, I'd grown up in a house where it was like credit cards were great. Uh, being able to pay it off, you know, in the future was a really good thing. Um, and it's really interesting to me now that 
that is a perception that many people still to this day would think is a wonderful thing. Mm. You know, Harvey Norman cards and buying your MacBook on, you know, a payment plan and all of these things, it, it takes a lot of time to undo. Um, yeah. my, my Sarah and I were um, $55,000 in credit card debt after we got married um, right. and we set up a business and yeah. it was very much on a you only live once um, basis like you know we're only having one wedding so let's do the wedding well we're only going on one honeymoon so let's do the honeymoon well you're only going to have one wedding dress so you know buy a good one um, whatever it is I'm a great justifier of spending like still to this day I can justify any expense um, I would always um, prioritize experiences over um, assets um, so I can tell you right now, like in 2018, Sarah and I took the kids to Europe, uh, on a six week trip. It cost between 40 and $50,000. Um, I could have very easily put that into the, you know, real estate investment account. Uh, but literally only four years ago, I was prioritizing that spend on an experience and I don't have regrets about it and I don't think it was a bad decision. What I do think is that it's a reflection of uh, my upbringing um, and it's a difficult imprint uh, to um, change is not the word I'm looking for because it's not something that I necessarily want to change, but it's a, it's a difficult imprint to acknowledge, particularly when you're looking to make changes. So, I observe that after reading, um, and I know I'm waffling on here a bit, but I no, remember it like it was yesterday. It was the um, in the, the Christmas New Year period of 2019 going into 2020 when we actually didn't know about COVID. And I was reading for the third or fourth or fifth time, um, uh, Richest Man in Babylon. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> great one of those book, books, by the way. <laughs> great book, and it's so easy to read. Like you can knock it over in a in a night or two, sitting on the couch. Yeah, and I still remember too. it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great book. Yep. Um, and it's probably a book that I've probably had since I was yeah twenty or twenty one, right? <laughs> um, and there was a, a a a section in there, literally a line called control. Like the secret to riches is to control thy expenses. And I know it sounds inanely simple. And I know we've heard so many times before, spend less than you earn and invest yeah. the difference. And yeah. I don't know what it was, but it's so cliche to go that like, you know, um, you know, when you hear it for the X amount of time, like you'll really get it. But it was a moment where I was like, I've really got to stop justifying spending more than I earn in the spirit of experiences, in the spirit of I'll earn that money back, in the spirit of, you know, I'll pay it with the future. Like, and I'm not sure it was because I was having more kids. Maybe this was this was only a few months after I've had we'd had our fourth child. Mm. So maybe it was like a maturity of like, Marcus, stop, stop living in tomorrow. Like stop living in tomorrow's income. Um but over that Christmas 2019 period, I was like, okay, in 2020, hand on heart, yep. I will I will put 20% of my income to debt demolition. Yep. I will put 10% um, of my income to investing for the future. 
even if I don't know what it is that I'm investing in and yeah. I will master the art of living off that 70% and I will control thy expenses and I burnt it in my brain and I don't know if this is woo woo or just you know um, you know give and you shall receive or whatever yeah. but after I had decided to give that to myself and the family and COVID hit and all this wild stuff happened um, literally uh, six months later we were putting an offer down on the very plot of land that I'm standing on now which is two doors down from Sarah's mum and dad, who we absolutely love. And you can imagine four children having their nana and pa just hop, skipping and jump away. And any parent with young children, imagine having parental help, you know, two doors away. And I feel like it was the universe going, show me that you're ready and I can open some doors for you. But yeah. it wasn't until I valued saving, like genuinely valued saving yeah. um, that, that opportunity um, open. So I have no idea what your question was and I've got no idea if I answered it, but no, that's you what have. <laughs> You're perfect, but I am going to stop you right there because I want to I want to drill down on something because you appealed to me with how you frame things because you're not woo-woo as you called it for the sake of being woo-woo. Now, you know, across my travels and over if I can use the word journey, which I really hate. Um, adventure, adventure. It's, it's your adventure. Yeah. <laughs> over my yeah. adventures. Um, yeah. You know, I've met people of all walks of life, all beliefs, um, and I've enjoyed spending time with people that are quite woo-woo and, um, and have beliefs about, um, what's the word? You know, the secret and all of that. And I do think that... Well, look at, yeah, I'm not esoteric. There are many esoteric people out there. That it's a Thank vague, you. Yeah. Yes, you can be quite practical. And I think the pendulum for me has swung both ways. I've been quite sceptical over my life. I've gone a bit woo-woo and I've probably swung back to about the middle where I like to think of myself as pragmatic, but open to stuff. Uh, and so when you say you don't know if this is woo-woo or not, I'll get to my point now, um, there is something about goal setting, though. There is something about having an intention. There must be a science behind it. I haven't looked into it. Yeah. I know there's all those documentaries and there's The Secret and there's you know, yeah. people, all sorts of people looking into it. But there is something very um, tangible about yeah. having a goal and writing down and writing down an intention Give me your thoughts on that in two seconds. Uh, yeah, so I agree for trillion percent. Mm -hmm. If I could show you under my stand-up desk here, <laughs> annual goals, monthly goals. Um, I'll freak you out a bit though now. I actually have changed setting my goals from the sun, which is like calendar months, to the moon. So I now set my goals in moon cycles um, rather than sun cycles because there's a whole different um, set of wisdom around uh, when you when there's new moons, you've got big ideas, you start things and all the rest of it. When you've got waning moons, you're in um, declutter and clean up and you're Marie Kondo and you're like getting everything clean and finishing up. Uh, I just found that with, with setting my goals by just the calendar year, which is very, I still do a calendar year, but I'll break it up into more moon cycles. Mm. I found I would force things more because of a date rather than um, 
a certain sense of um, flow at the time. But that's a conversation for another day. I love setting goals. I set them religiously. If I don't, I feel like I get swept up in someone else's script, someone else's demands or someone else's goals. Um, And so I feel for me like that setting goals allows me to say yes to me and no to others when appropriately, when appropriate. Otherwise, I feel like it would be reversed and I'd say yes to others and no to me when I would probably want it to be the other way around. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Moon cycles. Yeah, I got you there, didn't I? I was doing, got yeah, you, I got, you got right in my head. Because there's some, a couple of the coaches that I work with uh, that are part of Positive Real Estate. Um, if we have to have conversations that require um, some skill and we're going to debate something, uh, we have an agreement that we don't talk on a full moon. And simply because every time it goes sideways, it, it's never just... run an event on a full moon, never have big conversations on a full moon. They're completely impractical, illogical. No, oh, my Lord. Have the good ones on a new moon and get projects and cases finished on a, on a waning moon. Um, people love it. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Don't I'm not going to be attempt to even explain it. <laughs> Um, but you look at people and, you know, talk to Sam Saggers and his neighbours with the leaf blowers. They're all out in waning moons, keeping their houses clean, their garden tidy. And, you know, it's, yeah. But anyway, we're, we're going yeah, off. So I'm taking why that conversation's for. Way, way off course, yeah. <laughs> we are, we are. So tell me about your property journey. Where did, where did you end up with your home? Because there's some stories yeah. in that with in-laws and all sorts. Absolutely. So it was um, it was the Queen's birthday public holiday of 2020. Um, I'd been consulting to Positive in a content role for about one month, I think. And um, I don't know how it came about, but I remember I was having a phone conversation with Jason Witten and he said to me, if you don't go and find a block, at least like literally pull over now turn left, go into Mullum and find a block of land. It was when the Home Builder grant had been announced. Yes, yes, find yes, a yes. block of land that is registered and ready to build and get yourself into the game. And he probably had that conversation with me 10 times earlier in my life. Huh. But there was something something that that made me pull over call the agent who it was a public holiday, but who actually texted me back going, I can take you around tomorrow. Um, and then I met I met with him and looked at the block. It was a high, very high grade. He would have had beautiful views, but would have spent a bomb before that even put a nail into um, yeah. a piece of timber. And um, then said, look, the developer actually uh, buys himself, you know, two blocks in each stage of the development and sells them off when he opens up a new stage. So there is a block that isn't officially for sale, but I know he's prepared to sell it. So um, literally took took me to where I'm standing right now. Um, Nowhere near the gradient, a beautiful view of Mount Chincogan in Mullumbimby, a piece of land that blocks, that um, looks out onto a nature reserve. So we've got neighbours to the left and right, but everything in our backyard just looks onto nature. nature. Just got a completely green 
green view um oh, and he said you know and he said i could probably get him down to a good price for you so um and the and and the clincher was it's literally two doors down from where sarah's mum and dad who have also moved up to the shire had um had put an offer on um probably three or four months before us so wow. it was like oh my god we could be living two doors down from sarah's mum and dad and that was like fantastic and and we kept that a secret um from rob and jill uh, until we kind of announced it but yeah it was one of those just again magical moments okay so i'm going to take you back a step there i know that not everybody would be as excited to be two doors down from their in-laws <laughs> um, and can i just share with you a, a small story of mine because it's probably and if my mum ever watches this um sorry mum in advance um <laughs> is, oh dear oh dear no 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 it's a good it's a good sorry um in that when i was young all i wanted to do was be away from you know the constraints of my perceived constraints of family our family is incredibly close and in each other's pockets and we have traditionally always spent a lot of time together um you know my sister would come over to my house three four times a week um and um and i just felt i needed i needed to get away from that and reinvent myself and so vin and i moved to australia but now we're thoroughly ingrained here in australia and um and so it's very hard to consider moving back but it's one of my biggest regrets i i miss having my family in my pocket but we have it we have a life here now 20 years later and it's like this constant push me pull you my daughter's set up here she's got a partner here she's got a house here she's like i'm i'm stuck i've made this freaking rock and a hard place for myself and i know that there's some reasons um backed by your research that family is so important to you so so tell me a little bit about that because if i could do my time again mum this is for you i'm so sorry <laughs> and i would do it differently oh that's heavy oh, that's, that's heavy enough, isn't but it? yeah yeah but it's also you know if you dig into that you've also you know created a life for your daughter here which 100%. she wouldn't she wouldn't have the partner that she would if she you know yeah. you know so and um, the people we become and yada yada yeah all of that all of that yeah. so if ours hasn't been by design but i'm so grateful that it happened so we moved up oh. from so we lived in Inverloch, south gippsland victoria um for many years okay. and we had two yeah 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 so we were in Inverloch from 2007 to 2014 um and Sarah, we had a chiropractic and wellness center in Wonthaggi and we had our first two children in Inverloch and literally lived around the corner from Sarah's mum and dad um and then fast forward to 2014 Sarah had, had enough of trying to balance chiropractic and kids we sold that uh, practice and moved up um to the Byron Shire a year or two after that by some form of divine intervention Sarah's two brothers and respective families also moved to the Byron Shire. Um, so now um, Rob and Jill, Sarah's mum and dad, no longer had any of their children or grandchildren in Victoria. The only living family member left was um, Jill's mum, Ruth. Um, and so when Sarah's grandmother Ruth uh, passed away, Rob and Jill no longer had any direct family members. They had siblings and so on. 
Um, but it was, I know some people have a don't follow your kids mentality and Rob and Jill didn't come up necessarily to follow their children. They really came up yeah. to create a greater quality of life for themselves that had yeah. more purpose, more fulfillment. Again, all of our kids are at ages where they love being with their grandparents. The grandparents can provide so much <laughs> richness. Um, you know, you, you can yeah. imagine now we've got everyone's having a birthday and there's 14 or 15 there, three generations, you know, cousins playing with each other and, you know, siblings having a beer, a glass of wine, you know, it's it's never just like run-of-the-mill birthdays. It's always you're going out for pizza, whatever it is like. Um, so it, it hasn't been by design, but gee whiz, I'm just so glad that it's happened. And you know, as I said at the beginning, you know, I come from a divorced family and Sarah's got this nuclear family where Rob and Jill have been married for over 50 years. They've gone through plenty of hard times. You know, um, uh, Sarah's sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, but, you know, Chris, Sarah's brother is a widow. He lost his wife, Renee, to cancer when she was 39. So he's a widow with two children. So there's been, there's been a, a fair share of challenge in the family. And I mean, just that story alone makes it so much more powerful to have everyone here in proximity where we can share the load. We can take, you know, Albie or Grace for a night here, a night there. We can, you know, after school, yeah, Albie yeah, can get the bus and, and stay at Nana and Pa's whilst Chris works and provides for the family. Like for us, again, I'm not telling everyone to do it. It's not what mm. I'm telling the story for, but... For us, it works, and I'm so glad it does because um, I couldn't imagine it any other way. Mm. And, and it echoes a lot of what you've seen in these blue zones, right, um, around yeah. this sort of generational family. Um... I, think, I think, you know, maybe Industrial Revolution was the beginning of that family separation where people would start leaving the mm. home to travel for work and other things and what I've recognized, in, I've only been to one official blue zone, which is Ikaria, a little Greek island, mm. um, where they call it the island where people forget to die. Well, the New York Times came up with that title, and I just think it's a, it's a ripper. But um, you, you go back to places where you feel like you're going back in time. I do think Ireland has a lot of this as well, where you feel like you're going back 50, 60 years. Mm. And that, that proximity, like the emotional security that family can give, the physical and financial security that family can provide is a really healthy thing for a lot of people. I'm not going to prescribe it for everyone. It's not what yeah. I'm about at all. But I just know in my experience and research, the family dynamic, um, when there is proximity, um, I do think emotional proximity being the big one. Um, so it doesn't have to be physical, like emotion, like having strong, emotional, beautiful relationships with your parents, your siblings is the mm -hmm. longest lasting relationship you will ever have in your life. I mean, I would be just lost that without and, my sister. <laughs> yeah. But how yeah. many people cannot stand their brother or sister? There's been money or there's been, he did this, she did that, whatever it is. Like sibling relationships are often the first one to die and go pear-shaped. Um, right? And it just creates a level of bitterness there's generally an adult in, in adult you know not so much in teenage but that that 18 or probably more like that 25 to to 55 age you know life gets busy you know um, adults start having children work pressures so then there's distance because they don't speak as much they don't see each other as much and then there's emotional distance and then it's 
And then a big thing happens and that's often, you know, a parent dying and wills and money and all the rest of it. And because I don't have that emotional proximity anymore, it can create a lot of friction, financial stress and emotional stress and so on. So, yeah, I do think that, you know, mitigating a lot of those things in, um, you know, when you're younger uh, and having a real value on calling your sister or your brother when it's not mm -hmm. urgent, but just because you're driving and you've got yeah. 20 minutes up your sleeve. G'day, how are you going? Like, they're just actually really important. Yeah, no, I absolutely concur. And so um, if we head back to property then, so you've got your um, you've got your home now in Mullumbimby, two doors down from parents. Um, you were able to maybe take advantage of builder's grant and some incentives that were going at the time, which was, oops, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, yeah. And so where, where to from here for you then with property? What's, what's the next step? Have you thought about oh, that? It sounds got... a bit, oh, absolutely. I'm like <laughs> that impatient, I'm that impatient um, PPR dweller that's just mm. waiting. I mean, obviously on the back of the, of the floods and, the, um, and then everything that's happened from there, our, yeah. in, our pool, um, so we've got a pool and landscaping that is, Landscaping hasn't begun and pool mm. is half done, but it's it's been in the ground for six or seven months. And that's really because the installer, you know, is from Lismore and has been camping under their house ever since the floods. And it's just been, you can imagine how hard it's been for someone like Crazy. that to get back into yeah. the groove of work. And then so many tradies in the area are working on insurance jobs. And you can imagine mm. the backlog of that. So I'm just desperate to tie off this house so that I can, um, access the equity and uh -huh. and get investing. Um, yeah. You know, I've had chats. I've had chats with um, so Carolyn Weston is my coach, and Ooh. we've had all the big conversations. Um, but it's just a matter of come on, get this done. I'd love to think that by Christmas it'll be a lot easier. Because um, I was having chats with Carolyn over the Christmas like six months ago, going, "All right, what are my options? How do I do it?" Uh, you know, thankfully being in the Byron Shire, you know, we've got you know, almost instant equity. There was a, I think where a lot of people were unsure. A lot of people were unsure when we put the offer down on this land, what was happening with real estate. There was yeah. there was some humidity, but I feel like two days later, it went gangbusters and everyone yeah. wanted to move to Byron and everyone was selling up their Melbourne or Sydney pads. And we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, the, the rental squeeze is sad. We were paying 650 a week in rent Yep. which went up to 800 and I just accepted it because I knew we were building. And then yep. when we left our three-bedroom basic home in South Golden Beach, the new tenants were paying 1100 a week. No. Um, yeah, so and people are paying it. to 1100 100 Yeah, literally that was in the space of about eight months. Um, that's nuts, isn't it? And the thing is, I know there's things that like that's not legal and other things, but if you put yourself in a local here, local position here where you would argue and fight that legality and then you just get a 30-day eviction notice and then you're back out on the open market, you weren't going to get any better value oh, on the open yeah. rental market. It was and, and and sadly I can tell you, you know, mm -hmm. so many people that have been squeezed out and they're now down, you know, further south um you know or further inland just yeah. to get value um i'm just so grateful to be a property owner yeah. in this market because the last thing i would want to be and i'm so grateful that sarah's entire family 
uh, now property owners because mm. if there's one thing that I wouldn't want to be doing in this shire over the foreseeable future, it's being at the um, being at the hands of the landlord. Yeah, well, it's an interesting topic that you raise, right? Because um, we're going to see this across a lot of Australia. Um, yeah. You know, you've been privy to the conversations that we have at Positive Real Estate. You're part of the leadership team. So, you know, we've been talking about um, what does the real estate market look like uh, moving forward over the next 12, 24 months and foreseeable future. And one of the key topics is the rental squeeze. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we are expecting that to be really the next boom, the, the rental boom, uh, because there is a lack of supply. We have a lack of materials. We have a lack of people to build. Um, and finance is uh, potentially getting tougher. We've got, you know, rising interest rates. When we say that, we're going back to interest rates that are more normal, if we can call it that. We've been, um, you know, it's been... They're nothing compared to the 80s or the night, you know. Like the no, the it's 17th. almost like war survivors saying, don't talk to me about you know, how hard it is during COVID times. You know, we were yeah. lining up for bread, not knowing if we were going to get any. And yeah. I feel like that a bit about interest rates, you know, as a, as a journalist, I'm like, can everyone stop panicking, please? Because we've got nothing on what some of our parents went through with, you know, 18, 19, 20% on, yeah. you know, many types of loans just, you know, 30, 40 <laughs> years ago. So how old are you? I'm 40. You're 40. So you've, you've yeah. recently turned 40? Yeah, August 2021, I was 40. Ah, okay. So I've got a decade and nearly a half on top of you. <laughs> so I actually, You're looking good, Sam, about, looking good. <laughs> yeah. You talk about your, well, you know, filters and all. But um, you talk about uh, your parents. I remember, I remember, you know, 13 to 15% interest rates. We didn't have the 19 to 21, I don't believe in New Zealand that you guys had here, but I certainly, I was working in banking in my previous life. Um, yeah, I, I've done everything in banking. I've been the teller. I've been your customer service officer. I've done time doing mortgages and lending. So, um, you know, young Tab was witness to that all. And I remember my very first property, I was paying... 13% interest. And then post GFC, I paid 13% again because I was a low doc borrower. And we had an opportunity to buy this awesome deal that you'll hear Sam and Jace talk about a lot in Dulwich Hill in Sydney. <clears throat> the only way I could get finance was to pay these when everyone else was paying about 7 8%. I had to stump up 13% to get the deal done. But it's st I still have that property and it's one of my best performing properties. So sometimes, yeah. you know, as a quick side lesson, it's not always about interest rate, right? It's about the exposure and the opportunity that um, leverage allows you. So, um, yeah, you got oh, to... Just on, on your point, on your point, because the, the, the instigation for this purchase was yeah. home builder, um, you know, yeah. and potentially first home buyer's grant. But we ended up getting neither. Um, and then that's a story for another day. I don't, you know, I, I think that it's just a bit, I just think it's a bit boring. We're just over, our, our build went over and it, oh, right. yeah, there was a limit. the thing is, yeah. the yeah. thing is like, you know, I said this to Jason and, you know, I can tell this to you, like, uh, $25,000. Yes. It would have been nice and la la la, but the amount of equity that we have just in actually 
putting the money down to get the land and then the bill, like honestly. And it's like the interest rate story. You just do whatever you can to get in, which is exactly what you did. And you're not complaining now. Like, you know, and it's it's actually what stops a lot of people, I think. They go, oh, no, interest rate's too high. I'm not doing it. I'm like, well, in 20 years' time, you'll be kicking yourself, which is what you guys talk about so beautifully so often. And and we all need to be reminded of it regularly. I always tell the story, and I may have shared it in a previous podcast episode, but where when I first arrived in Australia, my boss at the time, we, I was in advertising. I'd migrated from finance to advertising. Um, so not dissimilar to journalism in a way, um, mm-hmm. as far as culture goes, I think. <laughs> um, but um, my boss there, he was a young fellow. He would have been probably late 20s, early 30s. And it was the start of the real estate boom in Melbourne. It was 90, probably 96, 97. And he was looking to buy his first home. He was going to spend, he could spend 350000 And he was going to buy a double-fronted, double-story, double-brick um, Victorian house in Fitzroy. Oh my gosh! At, for for three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, that would be what worth, it's worth about four, oh, four yeah. million today. Yeah. And he turned around to me, and I remember thinking, "Gosh, he really knows his stuff," because I knew nothing about the Australian rent market. And he turned around to me after going to auction and saying, "Nah, I would have had to have stretched to my limit." And um, I reckon the market's going to correct and go back down to a proper price point. So I'm going to wait and time the market. Um, I reckon 12 months, 24 months after that, it was probably worth 400, 500, 600. Uh, and then it's up from there. You do the maths on the compounding rate oh of return. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know if he Those ever, because he left, he left and we actually moved to Sydney. So I don't know if he ever got into the market, but man, you'd kick yourself with that one, wouldn't you? All of those things where you just, yeah, <laughs> pretty much pull the wrong rein. My dad laughs. He had $25,000 to invest and he was either a milk bar or a new franchise called McDonald's and he went the milk bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Oh, it's those, it those crossroads, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so heading back, so I've got two two things I want to touch on uh, before we wrap up today. So life lessons for Marcus. Um, you know, if if you could see the young Marcus, that classic podcast question, what would you be saying to the young Marcus today? What wisdom would you be imparting on <laughs> young Mr. Pierce? Well, I find this really difficult because I have obviously listened to, I think, every one of your episodes and I know a lot of people uh, start earlier. Um, I wouldn't change anything of my adventure in or my relationship with money. Um, I think for me, it's just become, it's been becoming aware of why I've been more um, likely to spend rather than save and developing Mm. that muscle for saving i think what i would probably do is um just remind young marcus of the importance of the muscle of saving i think that's probably the thing is when maturity when maturity struck at 21 let's say 
uh, with that 21-year-old maturity is you're still, for want of a better term, pissing money up against a wall on a Thursday night and a Saturday night with mates. And I think of all of the money, like, you know, back in those days, um, you know, might have been 80 $100 a night, you know, and you do that one or two days a week. That's 10 grand a year. Like, yeah, and, and back that. then, you know, 10 grand would have gone very far. My dad bought a ripping two better in Northcote for $110,000. Mm. I was with him because I was on the way to the crash repairs where my P-plate car had been totaled. And I said, Dad, go to the auction. You never know. And now I don't even want to think what it's worth. He's still got it today. And he bought it for $110,000. But he developed the muscle of saving. And I just think, um, yeah, younger me would just like to shake Marcus a few more times on a Thursday night and going, you don't need all those scotch and cokes. Um, Just save some of that money. Um, And... Yeah, because that's what I would really love. I suppose the answer is because what I would love to pass on to my children is the the importance and the value and and the privileges you get to experience when you save with a purpose to invest, not to hoard, with a purpose to invest. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. Hmm. But no regrets, no regrets, just just reflections. Yeah, the um, I think the thing that struck a key with me in line with what you're saying was I watched that documentary by the minimalists. Um, have you seen their stuff? Yeah, around? I've seen parts of it, but yeah, I'm very familiar with the doco. Yeah, and it's just around conscious spending. It's not about not enjoying yeah. yourself, not having, it's not about living for some day, which I know some people have a challenge with that as an idea, which I agree with to an extent as well. Um, but I really love how how they have a, a what is it a um, theme around choose what you spend um, mm. and and don't just fritter uh, and I mm. think I think it's that danger often I've found when I'm really bad with my spending habits it's I'm usually unhappy about something I'm usually not addressing something um, and um, and I tend to spend as a way of rewarding myself. And some of us do it with food. I've done it with food before as well. Uh, and yeah. I think if you can catch those moments and rein those in a bit and replace them with better habits, it certainly helps as well. Yeah. Mm. And I also think that um, because for someone that I often found the expenses were even personal growth, as an example, like I've spent hundreds mm. of thousands of dollars on personal growth. But so much of it was on a credit card with money I didn't have. So sometimes on reflection, it would be like, you know what? Instead of going to the next like hit, you know, you know, talk about personal growth junkies. Instead of going to the next hit of personal growth, why don't you go back and spend the next six to 12 months really applying? I mean, I've got books, (laughs) lifetime supply of books behind me. Why don't you go and just apply the the you know someone's life's work is in that twenty dollar book. Yeah. Do you really need to go and spend five thousand dollars on that three day course when yeah. you just have gone from one to the other? And again, we bounce around a bit in our twenties and thirties, and that's okay. Maybe we do that a whole life. But I do think yeah. there's a bit of it. No, just delay the gratification of. Oh my gosh, I'm going to this event. Or I'm going on that holiday. Simplify it. Immerse yourself, and you know we say it even at positive. You know, make more. Yeah make the most of what we've got. You know, you don't yeah. always have to get something 
new, you can um, squeeze more juice out of what you already have. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and then uh, tell me a little bit because the stuff that you do, um, the your exceptional life, um, the stuff you do around longevity. I know you've got some events coming up. You've got a two-day event. Tell us a little bit about that because I know there'll be a lot of people listening that'll be interested in having this as part of their um, part of their repertoire. Yeah, sure. Well, I think you know, uh, in the in the old days, uh, pre-COVID, I would run events all the time and travel the world, taking people on on longevity trips or running yes. events around Australia. Yes. But I would do a two-day event in Byron Bay called create your exceptional life where we look at the eight key areas of life. Uh, my research has led me to uh, believe that our longevity, uh, and in Australia, we average 83 years, but statistically those last 12 are uh, morbid, They're, well, comorbidities. So we've got chronic diseases, increased meds, times in nursing homes and, and, and the rest. So I'm very keen on helping people create more quality in their quantity of life so that that 12 year gap is dramatically shortened um and so i run a two-day event in byron bay every year i can say that now because i think we're going to have some confidence that i can run events every year um again but um touch wood um so create your exceptional life is a two-day event it's on october 15 and 16 uh this year day one is your longevity which is your purpose your movement and your social life and then day two is your quality of life which is your nutrition your family life, your growth, your wealth. And then we wrap it up by putting your spirit, soul and faith into all those areas. So if people are looking to do a life audit, a where are you now, a deep dive for two days to go, where are you now? Are you on the path to average longevity or are you on the, or are you, are you on the path to exceptional longevity? Um, that's what that two-day event is all about. I haven't put all the details of the event together yet because I'm still confirming it. I know it will be at the Byron Theatre. Uh, but if people are interested and they just want to register their interest, they can sign up uh, with their email at marcuspierce.com.au. Um, and when I've got all the details, the time, the money and all how it all works, I'll yep. um, shoot them an email. Awesome. So that was marcuspierce.com.au and that's Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E. Thanks, uh-huh. Tab. That's Very it. good. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much, Marcus. That was awesome. Thank you for um, sharing some of your stories and your journey with us. Adventure. Because <laughs> I freaking hate that word, Jenny. It's um, an adventure. Life is an adventure. <laughs> yeah, we have a saying in the trail community is that it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. Um, <laughs> and I love that. Well, life's an adventure then. It's many adventures. <laughs> It just helps reframe a disaster into something exciting, which um, I think is maybe a nice way to finish for today. So awesome, Marcus. Thank you so much. And um, we'll see you around the traps. Thanks for having me, Tab. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, I love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales 
at positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing and bye for now.